0: In the 1870s, Morris wrote manuscript notes on the northern mythologies contemplating the destruction of the gods. He contemplated the joy derived from praising great men and sharing their stories, which they could um, uh, also offer to the world. The contrast between the nobility of the sagas and the self-interest of his own time was striking. Yet the sagas conveyed the message that one should not despair hopelessly, but instead confront one's destiny head on and strive to overcome one's circumstances. The myth of the destruction of the northern gods also prepared Morris for the concept of a revolution in his own society. Iceland provided Morris with a dose of courage and hope, serving as a prelude to his active involvement in political life in Britain. Inspired by the principles and values he found in Icelandic society, Morris began to channel his energies into advocating for social change and actively participating in socialist movements. He believed that the ideals of equality, communal labor, and respect for manual work uh, that he observed in the sagas and the myths of the North could be translated into practical solutions for modern injustices and inequalities. In January of 1876, William Morris returned from uh, resigning his di- uh, directorship of the Devon Great Consoles Company and sat down on his top hat never to buy another one. He spent the spring and summer months working on Sigurd the Volsung, channeling his youthful desire to wage a holy warfare against the age. Morse began this holy war as an activist by opposing British imperialism in the face of rising inter-European imperial rivalry. In May 1877, while serving as treasurer of the Eastern Question Association, Morris penned his famous manifesto titled, To the Working Men of England. He warned the working class about the bitterness and hatred of freedom and progress that the wealthy classes harbored. He criticized the leaders who advocated for war and questioned their motives, uh, highlighting the interests of greedy stock gamblers, idle officers, and the Tory government. Morris urged the working class to reject an unjust war. Prior to this, Morris had limited political experience, but now he was thrust into the company of prominent politicians, businessmen, trade union leaders, and radical associations in London. He attended demonstrations, rallies, conferences, and was even called upon to speak at some of these events. Morris had also long been privately critical of the excessive restoration of old buildings, which prioritized replication of certain styles rather than the preservation of the authentic features. During this time, the Victorian middle class claimed to have a great interest in architectural matters, but it was more of a fashionable trend than a genuine appreciation. The architecture of the mid mid-cent- century, of uh, 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 19th century, was dominated by academic ri- uh, revivals of past styles, which were applied indiscriminately to various buildings. Morris turned his private criticisms into public activism with the formation of the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings, known as anti-scrape society. The Society aimed to protect old monuments, emphasize their historical and cultural significance, and protest against excessive restoration. One of the aims of the Society was to emphasize that ancient buildings are not mere toys, but sacred monuments, representing the nation's growth and hope. He argued that these buildings, regardless of their legal status, belong to the nation and should not be subject to the whims of ecclesiastical propriety. He argued that restoration was impossible because the true spirit of crafts of the original craftsman could never be replicated. He examined the changing conditions and organization of labor in different societies, ultimately reaching the point where modern industrial capitalism marked a significant departure from the craftsmanship of the past. The work with the anti-scrape society led Morris to confront the property focused nature of capitalist society and clash with both the iron law of competition, guiding commercial interests, as well as as traditional views on the role of churches. His work against British imperialism um, uh, along with this led him to confront the economic motivations behind uh, the imperialist ventures. Upon examination, it is clear that the Paris Commune of 1871, as well as Ruskin's writings on political economy and morality, influenced Morris's political thinking. Most explicitly, however, Morris's understanding of history, his studies of language, literature, and archaeology in Iceland, along with his reading of Karl Marx's Capital, brought him to communism. He believed that the continuity of history was not a stagnant repetition of the past or some imaginary return to it, but a constant process of change with the social structure of each age, age giving rise to the specific possibilities for what could come to replace it. After being awoken by the, to, to the, these politics by the Nordic mythology, Morris became, as the historian E.P. Thompson referred to him, a pagan communist, a label which with, which with which I personally deeply identify. Woo! Woo! The transformation of the eccentric artist and romantic literary figure into a socialist agitator was a significant conversion. By joining the revolutionary working class, Morris not only made a significant change in his own life, but also became the, notable, uh, the most notable recruit for the early socialist movement in Britain.